The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Financial technology, or fintech, is one of the fastest-growing industries in the world today, with New York, London, Tel Aviv, Edinburgh, Singapore, Moscow, and other major cities all vying for a piece of the action. Welcome to Breaking Banks, the first dedicated radio show that focuses on how this new boom is changing everything, from the way we bank to the very concept of money itself. Now, here's your host, Brett King. Okay, so uh, we're back in the studio this week talking, of course, about crypto and ICO. It's very hot right now. Uh, you know, we've had the uh, the Bitcoin ride, HODL. Do you guys know what HODL stands for? Mm-hmm. Right, hold on for dear life. Hold yeah. on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, of course, uh, and, and our, uh, our, you know, we're in the American Banker Studios here down in, in First State Street. And Mark Hochstein, who was with... Uh, um, American banker, and of course a big crypto guy. You know, um, he's just gone to who? Who's he gone to? Coindesk. Coindesk. That's right. Yeah, to be their uh, chief editor for Coindesk, and and uh, yeah, some of our other friends are over there. Isn't Bailey at Coindesk? I think Bailey Roitzel's there as well. So, um, you know, these guys all started. Yeah, of course, talking about blockchain on breaking banks, you know, a few years ago. But of course, everyone's uh, into this right now. So we're going to talk about ICOs today, which is very topical. Um, you know, we don't have to talk about cryptocurrencies again because we've done that. But uh, I've got some really interesting people in the studio with me today. I'll let you guys introduce yourselves because uh, you know I always screw up the names. So first off, Chandra. Uh, hi, my name is uh, Chandra. Thanks for having me, Brett. I'm the founder of Apple Foundation, and we're trying to uh, provide. Uh, a way to fund interesting biotech projects. Biotech, very very cool. Using using crypto, using crypto and blockchain. Yes. ICS. Okay. Hi, uh, this is Kenzie Wong. Um, I'm the managing partner of Superbloom Capital. Um, we are the first crypto ICO accelerator, and uh, we're also an investment platform as well, based in San Francisco. Very cool. Sure. My name is George Burke. Uh, Chandra and I are business partners at Aqua Foundation. Uh, as he said, we're funding um, we're funding biotech projects. Uh, I've been in the crypto space for quite a while, and uh, we'll probably get to what I, I used to do as we uh, as as we move along in the in the podcast. Well, well, let's start with no, let's. You, oh, you want to know? All right. So in don't throw it out there. In twenty. Like, oh, <laughs> oh, we don't need any cliffhangers over here. Okay. So uh, I've been uh, in twenty thirteen. Uh, working with uh, another guy at a company called FreshPay. Actually, wearing the FreshPay shirt. shirt. Yeah, that's right. I had that in my bag. It was one of the only clean things I had with me. <laughs> and uh, we were working on what would have been the first Bitcoin debit card to be released in the United States. Right. So and This is when we first met, right? That we was talking about the f- trying to figure out which bank would be game enough to under underpin a exactly that was the biggest challenge however uh so so we came up with the concept in i want to say june of 2013 uh now it's because uh, i had met a person who runs a bank um so brewster brewster kale uh from uh god what is the the big guy out out in uh, san francisco um very uh, freedom-oriented, very uh, fr- uh, freedom of information-oriented. Um, he was able to start uh, the Internet Archive Bank, right. which was actually very crypto-friendly back in the day. And they happened to put their only branch in practically in my backyard in New Jersey. Their only branch uh, um, was <clears throat> was where I spoke to the general manager. First day I met him, the general manager of this bank was wearing a shirt that said, I am Satoshi Nakamoto. Huh. And I'm like, I am home. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we got to talking and he's like, yeah, we want to put out your debit card for, uh, for Bitcoin. That's yeah. totally fine. We like the, the, your approach. Um, it seems very safe and let's get it done. So uh, 
I've never been from the finance realm. I've sure. uh, I've been a marketer. I've been a startup guy, but uh, putting together any sort of financial instrument seems uh, insurmountable. But when I got the green light from a bank saying yes, uh, that's when I knew that we could get this thing started. Yeah. However, their bank, um, the actually it wasn't, it wasn't a bank; it was a credit union, the right. Internet Archive Credit Union. When uh, they were then given way too much scrutiny. Uh, by the governing body that that handles these uh, uh, credit unions, um, they had to drop all crypto projects, uh, and we then had to scramble and find a new bank to work with. And we did this for years. Yeah. Uh, finally, in 2015, uh, we found a bank to work with. It was uh, Metro Bank. We were given uh, what we believe is the first uh, the, the the first banking contract to put out a. Uh, a debit card. It was actually a prepaid reloadable card for crypto for the sale of cryptocurrencies for USD. Now I, I'm using that language because that was the only way that we were able sure. to put it through. Because we can't say a freaking Bitcoin debit card because right. what a bank will run for the hills. Yeah. So we essentially we were selling digital assets um, such as cryptocurrency mm-hmm. and f- uh, for the sale of USD reloadable on a on a prepaid debit card, and uh, we. Let's see, so, so it was 2015, and uh, we finally got this banking contract um, after spending maybe like two years of our runway. We had raised uh, $500,000. And uh, after getting this contract, they put us in front of MasterCard. MasterCard uh, accepted our application. And then a month later, rescinded it. Oh, wow. But this, this was very common. Among all of the banks that we had worked with, we would go very far down the road um, until maybe it was ready to be signed by the president of the bank, and then Excellent. and then it would they would get pulled. Why? Because of some news that would occur, such as uh, uh, the the founder of the Silk Road being arrested, right. or uh, uh, and, Charlie and Shrem the, being arrested. Right. That, yeah, that, that happens. You, yeah. You got, did you guys know? Uh, you, you know, here's a bit of history for you if you're you're Bitcoin aficionados, right? We had Charlie on the show. Mm-hmm. Very early in the piece, but we had Charlie on the show the day before he went into jail for oh, the, the AML stuff. He came in to, uh-huh. to sit in, and and it was the day HSBC had announced their massive deal, and and it was re- really ironic. We had Charlie Shrem sitting there, mm-hmm. where you know you could argue that you know he 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 you know the the, the laws weren't in place to really articulate that. He had done something illegal, but he was going to jail. Oh, and course. this HSBC, who were paying a $1.9 billion fine, and no one was going to jail. No, was, I know. That. It was pretty ironic. But <laughs> if, we won't get into the conspiracy theories today, no. George. We want to talk about ICOs. It's a pretty hot market right now. So, um, we, you know, uh, if you guys aren't familiar with ICOs, if you're listening, an, an initial coin offering is essentially a form of capital raise based on a creation of a token or a form of cryptocurrency tied to an activity of a business. And, um, you know, there's, there's a bunch of them out there that is happening right now. Of course, we hear some big numbers from Filecoin and from Tezos, and we have uh, uh, celebrities coming out like uh, Mayweather and so forth. Uh, Promoting ICOs, Jamie Foxx just uh, did one at Paris Hilton. Yeah, yeah. So it's really hot right now. So uh, maybe uh, we'll start with you, Kenzie. Um, you know, how would you define an ICO? Um, you know, be, being that you're in the the capital raising business. Yeah. So it's a very new way of funding companies, and typically uh, blockchain companies. And blockchain companies will give out. A, a token that's designed for, you know, whether it's for a, a piece of their company, it's a security-based, or it's a utility-based or service-based uh, design, and, uh, and then the public will be able to buy in into um, these tokens and provide funding for the companies to build products and market themselves and in the future provide services back. And typically, it's funding a community-based platform and these are the difference here is that they're typically funding a, uh, a network business here so it's no longer funding a company but funding a network-based business so typically the funding requirements a little bit larger than venture capital that I've seen so far that's why companies are coming up with very extravagant numbers what's um, the average size of an ICO I've, you know the, from what I've seen in the past six months average size is 10 20 million dollars right. with some outliers being 250 million dollars the biggest I've seen so far right. in Filecoin and a lot of them are so Filecoin was 250 Tezos was 230 million right 
Yeah, Tezos is second, I think, 230. And yeah. then there's a Bancor, which yeah. is 150. Um, these are the outliers, but the ones that I've seen so far, um, a typical numbers that people throw out around is a $20 million, $30 million raise as being very, very commonly seen. I would say average, just because there's a lot of small ones as well out there that's not able to raise a lot of money, so probably around 10 to $15 million. So I want to go back to you, Chandra, and and talk about um, some of the companies that you're involved with, because you're in the biotech field, which is really interesting. But let me hone in on this one point, Kenzie. You talked about utility-based um, coins. So, can you know if we if we sort of drill down into that, in in typical terms, when you do VC or when you do an IPO, you're raising equity in the business. Absolutely. Right. But with an ICO, it, it's not tied to. Uh, in fact, the Securities Commission has a problem if you tie it to an equity type feel. Uh, you so, could if you could do a security based ICO, but you have to register. You, you have to you have to be a, you have to uh, do it in line with the securities law. Right. right. You can only also um, raise capital from accredited investors. Right. Uh, you have to register with a certain you know type of you know different organizations. You have to have some kind of lawyer to process your right. your files, typically more expensive. Um, whereas if we can do this as a utility function where the utility of the business generates ongoing cryptocurrency activity, then, um, you know, for example, a solar panel that is generating solar coins for every kilowatt of energy that it's using, you know, uh, as an example. So give me ex- examples of the sort of utility that can be underwritten by an ICO, do you think? Absolutely. So uh, one really good example would be... Um, Civic, for example, Civic went to ICO a few months ago, thirty million dollars, and um, they the Civic token is designed to uh, for usage of services on the Civic platform later on when they launch their product. Uh, so they will pre-product. Are they uh, it sounds like sort of a government type um, activity. A, very good point. Um, Civic is a identity token. They're okay. solving the uh, the problem of personal identification on the internet, like KYC passporting. Or? <laughs> yeah, it's like personal a uh, personal ident- identifying your right. your you know who you are, you know, what you do, and things like that. And what they provide for the token holders, whoever holds a Civic token, would be able to access features on their platform later on. So that's okay. definitely a utility. It's definitely not a security. So you can use Civic tokens to uh, build a profile of you on the platform. You can use that to access premium features such as scores of, 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 of your, your personal uh, information, things like that, you know, on their platform later on. So that's one, one uh, example of, of uh, utility. Another example of uh, utility here is SALT, S-A-L-T. SALT um, is a crypto-backed loan service. So by holding SALT token, you'll be able to access uh, different tiers of services provided by SALT. So for example, you How's can... How's that spelled? S-A-L-T. Okay, SALT. Like salt, salt pepper, yeah. Sorry, it's my Aussie accent. SALT, <laughs> mate. Salt, yeah. yeah totally. <laughs> so you can access to be a premium member of SALT and get different preferential treatments of the loans that you get. Right. So these are paying for services later on. That's why it's utility. Okay. Well, I would consider that more of a membership. Membership. Membership type yeah. of yeah, token versus yeah. utility type of token. Yeah, totally. Yeah, the, yeah membership is, yeah. yeah. And what about in the biotech space, Johnny? Uh, so... What are you saying? If you take a step back, yeah, sure, definitely. Uh, no one has done it yet. We're the first okay. platform to do it. The uh, question about, about the platform a little bit. Okay, so if you look at, so equity is a part ownership of the company, right? And the equity model has been there since, or the shareholder model has there been since, you know, the East India Company, yeah. and it worked very well. But for network businesses, most of the value that the network provides can be compressed into. Uh, a fixed number of tokens, and those tokens can be sold upfront to help build the network. That's a completely different model than the equity shareholder, like angel VC, public markets model that we've had. A certain type of business is very apt for uh, the ICO. If you have a network, that's a perfect way to uh, do it. It's a superior way to do it because you're basically selling utility in the network to help build the network. Right. Um, and there's no question of equity there. 
for biotech. And it talks to the fact that uh, these businesses are looking to scale very quickly and networks critical element. Right. And the token holders not only utilize uh, the tokens to derive function from that network, they also actually increase the value of the network, ideally. Um, for a different class of companies, you have to wonder what is the value that the company is going to provide during its expected lifetime and how do you compress it and tie it down to uh, a fixed number of tokens to help build As that compared project. with dividends or exactly. yeah, typical exit. So uh, for biotech, most of the value is either in their product, which is the drug that goes through phase one, phase two, phase three, post-market surveillance, FDA approval, you know, and it's sold. And or uh, if their trial fails for some reason at phase one or two level, or if they generate IP, but they can't take it to the market, then what is the product of the company? It's usually the intellectual property. So how do you uh, tokenize the, the value coming product. out of a biotech sure. company? We think it's either uh, tokenizing the product when it gets to market at a massive discount or a superior way is fractional ownership of the intellectual property coming out of that company. And so why isn't that equity? Uh, it is not equity of the IP. because you don't get to vote. You don't okay. have any direction in the uh, uh, any say in the the uh, direction of the company. But when the, the intellectual IP, property gets sold, would you separate the IP into a separate vehicle? Or uh, we're working on the exact model, but it would be license. Okay. Yeah. Ah, okay. All right. So through the license, that makes sense because you get utility off license. Right? Exactly, so, and then you get okay. fractional ownership of the license, and then you can sell uh, it to someone who is interested to buy it from you. It's tradable. Right. Now, um, you know, the big news, of course, is that in the last quarter, ICO beat out VC in terms of total funding. Um, you know, we're talking about billions of dollars of, of money going into the ICO market right now. What do you guys say about the argument that actually, because of the success of Bitcoin and Ether in particular, but Litecoin and Bitcoin Cash and these other um, derivatives of, of altcoins alt and alt-currencies because it's created a ton of liquidity that the reason ICOs have been successful is investors want to diversify their cash out of, you know, Bitcoin and Ether. Do you think that's uh, part of the reason for the, the fuel behind all these ICOs? I think I think liquidity itself is a, it's a big driver. Like you said, liquidity, you know, in crypto assets as well as liquidity in investors investing ICOs, um, it's it's definitely beating out the average life cycle of VC investments. You get money out five, seven years later on. You know, the uh, crypto space is incredibly liquid. Um, and I think the uh, appreciation from investing in capital gain, capital gain from investing in ICOs have led to a, a lot, of, a ton of interest from um Global global interest from investors everywhere to to rush into uh, to investments, and that's that's what's driving ICOs to become bigger and bigger in a, in a very incredibly fast way. Now, Kenzie, you're bullish on this whole thing in terms of it, and and you know Brock Pierce will be here on the show. Very bullish on the fact that this is essentially going to replace the venture capital and 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 potentially private equity markets to some extent, right? I am bullish on it, but I also am realistic in the sense that it will go through a, a regulatory period. Right. I think um, the the uh, the different models and different regulation will come into place uh, either by itself or by you know governmental regulation. In you know will come into place in the in the next uh, six months or so, and will, which will curb the investment velocity in the ICO space. But it's overall it's for the it's for the better. Um, I also wanted to say that um, you know ICO investments typically only funds blockchain companies, so uh, VCs and, and angel investments in technology companies still has a place. It's always going to have its place because those companies are not blockchain based. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I do see ICO open up a ton of potential for a, a new slew of companies built on, tech, on blockchain. Um, which I see as a, a, it's a huge innovation driver as well here for blockchain companies to flourish and going beyond the boundaries of having to rely on investors in one region. So for example, Silicon Valley sure. to, to, to put you know, capital into initial phase of, um, uh, of company building. And it's a global phenomenon, which is very exciting. You know, we're, we're now seeing a lot of companies getting built out of regions that are typically unfunded by Silicon Valley VCs. Um, this is going beyond the boundaries of geography as well as different verticals of business. We're seeing 
great companies like Aqua getting built um, in healthcare space without the relying without relying on VCs, you know, relying on the public, the community interest, and they're going to grow very very fast mm-hmm. from here on. So, what do you say about that? Uh, I think it's a so part of the reason why there's an interest in the ICOs is, like you said, a lot of people have uh, derived a lot of liquidity from Bitcoin and Ether appreciating. There's no question about that. Uh, but I fundamentally see Bitcoin as a a killer app for the blockchain. There's other killer apps as well because it's a general purpose technology. I think identity is an absolute killer app for the blockchain. Uh, that's one of them. Yeah. And uh, more fundamentally, just this move away from the shareholder model of the corporation to a network model of the corporation is a big fundamental disruption. We're actually just beginning to see the the, yeah. uh, the start of it now. Because, you know, network businesses didn't exist the way they do now. Right. And there's no reason why the shareholder model from a few hundred years ago should be the perfect way to build Absolutely. a network yeah. effects business. Yeah. And, you know, as markets evolve, you know, we, we should evolve the way we think about capital, Absolutely. particularly on the network model. So, But there's a lot of junk out there, guys. I mean, there's a lot of ICOs that are pretty suspect right so what you know when when do we go through this maturation where we can get rid of that and and get to companies that are producing real utility with real results and you know as you say really doing something significant with the blockchain yeah you know um actually one of the reasons why you know my co-founders and i uh, founded superbloom capital is because we see the incredible timing of opportunity in uh, companies raising funds through a new mechanism. At the same time, we we'll also see a lot of noise. And the um, the reason why we set up uh, Superboom Capital is because we see lack of standards in the space. There's a lack of me- vetting mechanism for the general public to be able to identify the good, um, the real good investments, separate them away from the, the, the bad apples out there. And uh, we wanted to set up guidelines um, for companies to be able to follow, you know, in terms of compliance, in terms of token design, in terms of how to market their companies. The whole, you know, slew of service that we can provide here is a great opportunity for us to set up to be the first accelerator in the space here and be able to provide vetting mechanism for, uh, for you know, this, the whole space to see that, you know, for us to be able to find and choose um, great companies. That's, right, so, that's the reason why. So let me jump in here, and George, you might like to give some some thought to this as well. Um, so, you know, one of the things we're seeing right now is markets are adjusting to this, but one of the, the comments you guys made is that ICOs are allowing investment across border, particularly for companies that don't typically have access to venture capital or structured ways of raising funds or, or you know, there's no VC, established VC market in that geography. Um, and so there, there is a temptation right now. We see China and the US and other uh, re- regulatory markets tightening up on ICOs. But the temptation may be to say, we just ban ICOs. You shouldn't have ICOs. And anyone that invests in an ICO, that, that's a problem. What's the risk to markets if they don't allow this type of revolutionary funding to happen? You know, what do you, you know, it, could it mean that a market becomes uncompetitive if they ban Bitcoin, if they ban ICOs, like what's happening in China right now? Well, I, I'd certainly worry about what the United States would do if, uh, if, uh, if companies here could not raise an ICO. It would make them less competitive. Uh, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, they, there would be a, an exodus of, of really great blockchain talent to other parts of the world that uh, this would be legal for. Um, you've already like seen Singapore. You've already seen part of that with, with, Switzerland. With, with Switzerland and Singapore being safe havens for nonprofit foundations to be able to raise capital. Uh, many of these blockchain companies are not actually uh, uh, for-profit companies. Uh, you see them uh, raising a, a non-profit foundation, uh, w- which is fascinating because the company doesn't care about making profit because w- w- the value is in the network and the token that's being, that, that, that's being uh, increased as a result of network effects. Now, uh, back to the investment side of it, if uh, the, the U.S. government... Uh, were to disallow uh, ICO investing, well, uh, we're pretty creative over here. We'll, we'll figure out a way to understand what is an ICO and what is not an ICO um, and is just simply a token. Right. 
and figure out a way to sell that. Yeah. And, and when you can fund it with cryptocurrencies that where your liquidity is already on the IP layer, then theoretically it's pretty hard to stop that. You know, it's pretty sure. hard to stop you from taking a Bitcoin from a wallet and, and putting it into another token. Right? The thing that I absolutely love about ICO investing uh, is that it evens the playing field for the rest of the world. Uh, you have people in... Zimbabwe. They have access to a computer. If they have cryptocurrency, they have the ability to invest in a startup in the United States. That is insane. It has never been seen before. Where would they have even had access originally to put capital um, in a very small amount, maybe $100, into a company like this? This is really the point, is that the, the, the existing financial system, the way stock markets work, are exclusionary. You know, a lot of people don't have access to uh, raise money through that or invest money through that. You know, it's uh, and uh, after 9-11 and so forth, the increase in regulation we've had around the Patriot Act and, you know, the CIP and, um, you know, uh, AML regulations is making it harder and harder and harder for people to qualify just to open an investment account to invest. So given the IP layer, Given network effect of computing and mobile and you know uh, all this stuff, it it seems uh, pretty predictable that we would come up with a model of investment that is more suited to a boundless, geographicless uh, uh, you know system based on the IP layer than the system we've got right now, which is heavily regulated in markets that require this. You know, you jump through all these identity hoops just to be able to play in that space. Oh, that's right, and a lot of U.S. investors are already being blown blocked uh, from from being able to invest in uh, these companies. Um, yeah, and, 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 and as a U.S. investor, you can't even open bank accounts offshore now because of Factor. No, that's right? understandable. Don't, and don't it's, it's sad. On that. Uh, take a look at, so the accredited investor argument uh, where someone must be sophisticated or have enough money to right, be so able listen, to throw George, away. I want to jump in here because we're going to go to an ad break. I want to I want to keep this theme of financial inclusion exclusion, and I want to introduce that after the break because that's a really good point for us to have a break on. But let's take a quick break, and after the break, we'll come back and we'll introduce uh, David to this discussion as well. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. What do financial services of the future look like? Invisible yet ubiquitous. Blended into our lives like air, gravity, this podcast. Temenos has specialized for 20 years in creating the best financial technology for thousands of financial institutions worldwide. Our open fintech marketplace allows millions of people to experience money in exciting new ways. Join the most vibrant financial services ecosystem in the world. Temenos, we make the money go round. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Now, before we get back to talking about fintech, I want to take a quick moment to tell you about eFinancialCareers.com, one of the supporters of the show. They're the world's leading career site for financial service professionals for over 15 years. eFinancialCareers.com partners with leading financial and fintech firms, so your resume is seen by all the top companies and recruiters in the U.S. and abroad. Now, as we all know, financial services is a very dynamic, ever-changing industry, and eFinancial Careers provides valuable resources from helpful career coaching to interview strategies and tools that keep you up to speed and well-informed with what's happening now in the industry and what it means for your career. Registration's free for financial professionals. Make sure you take advantage of all the resources they have to offer. So check them out, eFinancialCareers.com. You're listening to Breaking Banks featuring your host, Brett King. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or join the conversation on Twitter by using the hashtag BreakingBanks. Now, back to the program. 
Okay, so we're back from break. We're talking, we're on Breaking Banks. I'm your host, Brett King. We are talking ICOs, initial coin offerings. Very hot right now. Of course, if you're a regular listener to the show, you know we've talked about it before, but we've got uh, Kenzie from... Superbloom Capital. Superbloom Capital. We got Chandra from Aqua Foundation. Aqua Foundation. George is here. George. Also, also from Aqua Foundation. Aqua. Yeah, that's right. Also from Aqua Foundation. And um, we've got David Del. Uh, I, I knew I was going to mess this up. Can you give me. So my name is David Del Cerro or David Del Cerro. Yes, and you're from the Catalyst Fund uh, BCA. Uh, BFA. BFA. Oh, man. Seriously. What, what is. It's. My apologies. Anyway, I do this every time when guests come on. I, I, I mess this up. I should have it just written down, but uh, I'm going from memory today, and that's the problem, right? Anyway, um, now uh, we've been talking about um, inclusion just before the break, and David, this is a good point to bring you bring you guys in. So just describe for the group, you know, what does Catalyst Fund do? So we're an accelerator program as well um, that works with startups globally um, that are using fintech, different fintech techniques to include those humans who are outside of the banking system today, around 2 billion people. So which sort of markets are you guys focused on? So we focus on markets like South Africa, Brazil, India, Mexico. Right, where there's uh, high rates of financial exclusion right Exactly. Now. Or mo- still most of the population just lives outside of the financial system. And so um, you know, do you see a marriage for... Um, accelerators like what you guys run and the ICO market right now? Is that an opportunity? I think so. Um, Definitely. I mean, when you talk about financial inclusion or exclusion, it is true that today's vehicles for funding are a little uh, elite, if you can put it that way. And these these tokens could significantly change that. Now, I think it's still early days. I think the pioneers, like the other ones in this room, have to battle the first, uh, you know, harder waters. And once they figure it out, we can use these these devices um, in other markets. Great. Actually, when we started the Catalyst Fund, we we had a number of technologies, platforms, if you wish, that we thought we were going to be seeing uh, startups rally around, and and blockchain, Bitcoin was one of them. And we haven't seen a single one yet. Yeah. But there's just, I think the barriers to entry for the technology are still too big for the types of startups that we work with. Well, although um, you could argue Abra. Yeah. No, Abra is, is, is an outlier, but they're already. Um, they're the, mature. They haven't, they're mature, they haven't yeah. formed from an ICO, right? Yeah. 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 So, okay. Um, now, we had Abra on the show uh, a couple of months ago, actually, talking yeah. about their stuff. But, uh, all right. So, um, you know, the the one problem that you have to solve in getting someone a bank account in most markets is access to an identity platform, right? Absolutely. So we saw yeah. uh, India just solve this problem by issuing a national identity card, the Aadhaar card, right? And if you look at financial exclusion in um, countries like the United States, a lot of it has to do with the fact that people don't have a passport or a driver's license to open a typical checking account. And then you factor in things like autonomous vehicles or uh, ride sharing in the future and the likelihood that people are going to have like my my eight-year-old son he's not going to have a driver's license he's not going to need a driver's license at least Hmm. so how does he qualify for a bank account if he doesn't have a passport or a driver's license so um solving the problem of identity this seems like a no-brainer for blockchain so maybe uh you know what do you think in terms of this being able to help us with inclusion. I, I completely would agree. Regulators all over the world require some level of KYC always when you open a bank account. For those of you type. who don't know what KYC is, know your customer is sort of the, the legal requirement to be able to say, I can verify that I know who this customer is. Right? Exactly. And it doesn't matter if you're in Zambia or in the US, they, they expect you to, to offer some documentation. And at the same time, the same government may not be issuing a national ID at all. So there isn't, it's a bit of a, you know, customer to problem. One of our companies in our portfolio called Smile Identity solves for that. Right. Essentially, they, they, they match selfie pictures with any pictures you can get and they'll mm-hmm. certify, well, you know, to 99.9% of confidence, this guy is this guy, right? So have you guys heard about what's happening in Brazil with, with identity? No. The Brazilian government is launching an identity initiative on the blockchain. Wow, way to go! That's huge. Yeah, 
So this, oh. I think, could become a template for what's happening around the rest of the world. I'm surprised that I, I, I knew something you guys didn't know about blockchain. That's pretty cool. Well, it's your job to stay in the news. My it friend. is my job to stay in the news. <laughs> but, you it's know, not at least Kenzie would know about that. Oh. But, uh, I'll yeah. tell them to work with Civic. Civic, okay. So Civic's a good, yeah, well, you, that, maybe they can pitch it. They just, yeah, work with yeah, Civic. Yeah. Uh, but this is definitely an opportunity. So what would, a, what would an identity construct look like on the blockchain? Let me put that to you. I mean, well, you can tell us what Civic is like. Well, I, I have an idea of what this should be uh, because what, what you have is a lot of fraud uh, with stolen identities um, and social security numbers that, are, that, that, are, that have been stolen. My, my, da- my, my dad's right. ha- yeah. had that issue uh, with, uh, with credit cards being taken out in his name. And uh, that cost us uh, a lot in terms of being able to get his credit back uh, to normal as a result of this fraud. Now, um, the, it, it's also a matter of uh, password problems as, as well, where when you give a password, there could be an, intercept, uh, an intercepting body that, that receives that password. So it, it, what we want as a construct, this is, and this is just a high-level bird's-eye view construct, I yeah. think, for identity, is... For at some point, you have said that you are, or that someone has verified that you are who you say you are. And now you no longer need to be verified as to who you are. You only need to be verified that you're showing something that has pointed back to the original verification. So you can have, instead of giving people your social security number, you would give someone... um, uh, some other form of identification uh, that, uh, <laughs> let, let, yeah, history. <laughs> maybe you're, you are uh, signing a token right. that has the ability to show that you are who you say you are, but we don't know who you are. Right. And so you've so already to, been identified. So all we need to do is say, we, all we need to do is verify that with that original establishment of your identity, that we can verify the data you give us now, whether that is a 3D point map of your face with the, uh, you know, the uh, new iPhone, whether it is a fingerprint, whether it's a voice print, whether it's something like that that uniquely identifies you, that can tie back to that original instance for verification. That's right. Well, without having to give the actual information that is sensitive and can be stolen. Right. And and that in, uh, that identity information should be able to be protected so that or tokenized so that again the information can't be stolen. It's just Yeah, and that's exactly what the premise of uh, Civic is. It's exactly what George just said. You know, it's tokenized identity in a form. Well, that's a coincidence, isn't it? Just checking. (laughs) (laughs) Keep going, Kenzie. (laughs) It's it's you know it's boundless. It's you know solving the problem of unbanked, like you said. Yeah. And that that's that's a big problem, and that's one of the things that the uh, the blockchain technology should tackle right away. Because that's a form. That's a that's a problem that can that can be um, that can be solved in order to solve other problems. The one issue that there will be with uh, with identity that I can see, I don't know if it has been completely worked out because Civic is still doing their product. Is as long as you so in the blockchain, as long as your identity has been entered in the blockchain, it's secure. You know, there's some kind of an audit at the beginning. But the uh, trust issues always move to the edge. Who is doing the first audit or notary of your identity and tying right. it to some kind of a private key? Which is why it makes sense for organizations like governments and banks. To be at the edge of the blockchain. To be at the edge of that. be at the edge, yeah. But they don't have to be keepers of that They don't have to be once you're in, uh, in the, yeah, it's once it's recorded, it's there yeah. forever. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and this really speaks to the fact that, and, and David, I'll you know, get your comments. Do you think banks will be in the identity business in 10 or 15 years' time? That is a big um, raging debate right now in the markets we operate, emerging markets, where sometimes the governments don't, don't issue those, don't provide those identity services. So then somebody has to. And the banks, that's not their business, but if they don't, then they cannot operate, uh, at least not with these populations. So it is, it is a question, and definitely I think some, some of them will say, okay, I, I, you know, my business model doesn't have to be like the banking business model 30 years ago. I, I'm going to be also an identity provider. 
because I, I created the identity in the first place. The question that I have that's relevant for our market is how do you access all that technology? Because the poorer you are, the, the crappier your smartphone is if you have one. Right. Uh, maybe you don't yeah, have I was just in phone. Lagos, Nigeria last week and um, you know, yeah. I, I saw a lot of uh, iPhone 2Gs. You know? Yeah, wow. And uh, yeah. I was thinking, wow, I haven't seen one of these for ages, you know, and an iPhone 3 and so forth. And, but, you know, they, this is, these guys get them on the secondhand market. That's how they get their first smartphone. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So is, are we creating an inclusive, inclusive platform that excludes those that don't have the technology required, right? right? So th- that's how we look at it. Um, and that's also why we think we haven't seen that much activity in our markets. So tell me about, just tell me a bit more about the Accelerator and who you guys are working with right now at Catalyst Fund. So the Accelerator is, um, we believe it's an interesting mix of different talents. We are funded by two foundations, or rather one foundation, Build a Melinda Gates Foundation and then JP Morgan Chase, their corporate philanthropy right. effort. Um, and then yeah, we've we, had Costa Peric on the show, and yeah, they're, they're great guys. So we we get they, they fund the, the overall program, then there's five participating investors, they're all impact investors, uh, a media network, uh, Action Venture Lab, Quona, Grey Ghost, okay. and 500 startups. That is not technically. Yeah. Uh, an impact investor that operates in emerging markets, they find the opportunities for us. They bring the startups to us. We discuss them, select them. And then once we approve the startup, we give them a $100,000 grant check. So no equity exchange. They get a very sweet deal, if you sweet ask me. Yeah. yeah, pretty sweet. And then on top of that, we give them a, a, a consultant engagement of you know, worth fifty to seventy thousand dollars. Do you give them the option of taking the hundred thousand dollar grant in Bitcoin right or away. USD? Yeah. <laughs> no, um, we don't. Yeah. But it'd be an interesting. Maybe we could have our own like, ICO you can have your own to own fund coin. all that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll talk to you later to see how we can figure that <laughs> out. Um, uh, but yeah, so we give them the the monetary support to keep them going, yeah. and also uh, some technical assistance to help them navigate whatever challenges they're in. Because what we find that the problem that we are trying to solve as an accelerator. Is, is a different one from the ones we're discussing here. These startups are tackling uh, very hard problems in emerging markets. And one of their main challenges is securing the funding to, to get runway. When you say $500,000 before, that's very juicy for some of these guys. Um, and the international investors can only get involved once the ticket size uh, for an investment run is big enough. So we give them that, that first push. Uh, or, or second push sometimes, so that they sponsor an investor who found them in the first place can later on, six months, 12 months later, uh, consider an investment in the company. So right. it doesn't have to be a nonprofit, but it needs to be no, no, no. social impact-based. Yeah, it, okay. it actually has to be a for-profit, but it's also seeking impact at oh, the same time. Yeah, we have zero nonprofits because the investors who sponsor them Want oh, to yeah. invest on the line. So if it's a non-profit only, they're, yeah. They're and 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 Bill and Melinda Gates and these guys, they they don't want non-profits necessarily, they, but they do want social impact. Right? Absolutely. Right. What do they get for their grants? They get the who? So the, the so, so the, the the investors are uh, giving a no, hundred no, or your no, no. your organization the, gives grant of a hundred thousand. Yeah, but that's funded by the uh, Bill, 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 Gates Bill, Foundation Bill, and JP Morgan Chase. So what I think is interesting in this model is there are really three actors dancing together the foundations who seek the impact and also to seek the generated body of knowledge about these cutting edge approaches to solving millennial secular problems they put the capital the investors who are interested in finding scalable solutions but cannot stomach the risk just yet put the, their instinct or their contacts and we BFA we're a, consult, a global consulting firm we put the management of the fund, the fund and the skills to give these guys a push so, so you have donors investors and consultants working together mm-hmm. to accelerate these companies and with them hopefully the overall industry awesome very cool so, guys, uh, I just want to sort of wrap this up, but, uh, you know, let me, this is what we like to do at the end of the show, typically, is uh, sort of look out a little bit more futuristic, you know, 5, 10, 15 years down the track. So, um, you know, where is, uh, Chandra, where's the biotech space going to be in 10 or 15 years, and how's ICOs going to help that? I think a lot more uh, interesting biotech projects will get funded, and we're doing our part to make that happen. The, uh, the big constraint or the bottleneck for funding biotech projects is that the pool of available venture capital, uh, available as a proportion of the total venture capital uh, industry, is very small, very specialized, and it's very, very expensive for founders right. because it's so risky and it's, uh, uh, there's so little of it available. 
and it takes so long. The uh, problem you were solving is that there are a lot more people who have interest in seeing specific areas of human biology developed. Someone with Crohn's disease would be happy to fund, in small amounts, a research project that targets Crohn's disease. Right now, people who have those interests and have the money to spare have no way to contribute to the progress this of that really specific area. So ICOs can create uh, liquidity, liquidity for projects for like passion that. projects for so, passion yeah, projects yeah. and uh, yeah. Very very cool. I like that. What what health tech are you bullish on? Uh, I'm negative in general on the health tech space. What about, there's gene, been what about gene therapy? Uh, so I, I I assumed you were talking about digital health startups, oh, okay. but if so it's uh, like, in the healthcare space, what was the startup that uh, tanked? You know that had the Theranos. Yeah, Theranos. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm very bullish on the uh, anti-aging space, right? And there will be a lot of breakthroughs yeah. coming in the next few years. Yeah, that'll be transformative. Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting when you can live to 120 or 130. It changes, and not just live, live healthily yeah, and yeah. live younger. Yeah. Bioprinting? You're bullish on bioprinting? Uh, it could happen. I'm not sure about the timeline. Okay. Tissue printing, cool. yeah. Yeah, printing, yeah. Yes. Very cool. Uh, Kenzie, uh, 10, 15 years out. Yeah. So I think a common theme that we were talking about here, and one word, you know, to summarize that is decentralization. Right. And I, I, I'm, I'm a huge fan and believer of decentralization. Essentially, you know, our fund is a big believer in that model. And that's where we work with great companies disrupting each different verticals and space like Aqua, for example, disrupting the healthcare space, biohealthcare space. Um, taking the decentralized stance and model. So we're, I, I, I see five, 10 years from now, a lot of different verticals in the world will become more and more decentralized, going above boundaries, become boundless, and would be supported by communities instead of institutions, instead of by governments, instead of by you know specific funds or boards, you know, for companies, for example. I think the lot of decentralization approach will happen. And that's thanks to blockchain technology to show the potential of what decentralization can do to create a new industry. So I'm a big believer of that. I see venture model would also be disrupted by that in a great way as well. We've already seen that. I think that model will be regulated more, but at the same time, it will still flourish and it will become a great source of funding for new technology, driving innovation driving value creation instead of just restricting or taking value away, but creating value in a, in a big way. So now if you're listening to that, if you get, if you, if you understand some of the sort of underpinnings of that, maybe you understand why Jamie Dimon said Bitcoin was a fraud. Exactly. Yeah. So bound the dip, right? Yeah, exactly. Nobody likes to be disintermediated themselves. Absolutely. They all want to be the disintermediated. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. if he could get Bitcoin, drive down the confidence in Bitcoin, then come up with his own solution, you know, all the bankers are happy. But that didn't happen. Didn't happen. Although JP Morgan did buy at the low point, right? Exactly. So, they, yeah. they did buy. I hope he fired yeah. those guys, incidentally. But anyway. <laughs> All right, so George, 10, 15 years out. Well, I'm pretty sure that you've had a lot of people on this show talk about the uh, amazing things that blockchain and tokens and Bitcoin will do for the, the world. Token blockchain so I, I'm, not gonna, I'm not going to talk about that. What I will talk about is what I think a dystopian future could look like. With, <laughs> <laughs> there's an episode of Black Mirror uh, from the first, from the first season right now. Well, it's, it's a so fucking hot, good show. Right? Yeah, man, I, I no, I, I love it, and because it makes me imagine and think, not about, uh, not just about the potential of technology, but also the dark side of it. Yeah. So the dark side of what this could be, where blockchain enables fractionized or fractionated uh, ownership of anything, or uh, where where um, you can pay, let's say per second uh, or per page that you read, um, and. Everything gets metered and monitored. So you, you, where and you sleep at night, you you have to pay by the minute right. for now, sleeping space. In this, and you can only afford three hours tonight. That's that's one that's one use case. You, the other thing could be where you have to pay a penny every time you want to squeeze a, a piece of toothpaste onto your on, on, onto your uh, toothbrush <laughs> with the the um, electronic distributed decentralized toothbrush tube. I mean, right. And uh, uh, every minute that you're watching television is another token out of your wallet. Uh, I mean, that's a kind of a crazy 
uh, future that uh, has been shown in this one episode or, of Black or, Mirror. Or, or you're, you're an Uber driver mm-hmm. and you, know, you have to go out and drive to trade your hours driven for you know, your food. And in this in this episode, uh, you had people who were uh, uh, able to be paid in these uh, this digital currency um, by being on uh, it was either an elliptical or a uh, oh, yeah, uh, an exercise bike, bike. an exercise bike, yeah, right? And that's and they were powering the world's AI, right? That's what the, it was. Yeah. They were powering that, and they were finally able to be paid in tokens, which gave them just enough to continue to live on, so they could squirt out another thing of toothpaste, toothpaste and have three square meals that day. Crazy stuff. All right. Mm-hmm. So, are you a techno optimist or a dystopianist? I'm a very techno optimist. Me too. I don't like the Black Mirror because of that. It gives me the creeps. But I, <laughs> in that vein, I think from my perspective, what is really exciting about these technologies that could meter, that could account for things all over the place, is that this is the way you probably can solve externalities yeah. that companies create and then damage others, the environment, right. low low income populations. So I don't know if your guys are familiar with the B Corporation. It's a sure. type of corporation mm-hmm. that includes in its founding charter the interest of others beyond their shareholders. Well, this seems to be the perfect way to make that happen for yeah. real at, at yeah. a global, like economy-wide scale. Well, we could call them blockchain corporations, right? Yeah, good, exactly. They were they were very <laughs> visionary. Yeah. They had to be there. Yeah, yeah. Is for benefits, but actually it could be with Benefit, blockchain like. or something. And I I believe that I could decent I could you know keep the shareholders on the same level playing as customers, as suppliers, as employees, because uh, it doesn't feel quite fair that somebody, because they were at the beginning of the company yeah. and said with 10%, meaning $10 billion, and all the other people who came later, potentially customers who pay for all of that with their content or their eyes or whatever, sure. get nothing in exchange other than a free service. So this could be a good way to better meter uh, some of the I won't even get started on the fact that someone sold their kidney to buy an iPhone and where that. <laughs> takes us when you yeah. your blockchain and all that but anyway alright guys listen we're going we're gonna to wrap it up David thank you very much for joining us again and, and uh, you know um, second attempt we've had at this but thank you George great to see you again it's been far too long Kenzie nice to meet you Chandra the same um, I'm really bullish on the health tech space so I'm going to get you a copy of my book Augmented that I wrote where I talked about I'd love tech, to read so, it yeah. thank you um, but thank you guys for joining us on Breaking Banks today if you guys are interested in checking out some of the previous episodes don't forget go to Breaking Banks.com. Our parent company, of course, is Provoke, Provoke Media. Check us out on provoke.fm. And uh, if you want to find out a bit more about what's happening in the space, follow me on, on uh, Twitter, at Brett King. And uh, you guys want to quickly give us your Twitter IDs? Uh, C-S-E-N-T-R-O-P-Y. Okay, Kenzie. Mine is Kenzie Wong, K-E-N-Z-I-W-A-N-G. Hey, I barely use Twitter, but uh, I love Facebook, actually. Okay, well, so you, you're Facebook George yeah. Burke, right? Uh, uh, Facebook slash Geo Burke. Okay, Geo Burke. Okay. I don't use Twitter much either, so I would just point people to our website, catalystfund.org. Okay, great. So they can follow the portfolio companies. Great. So that's a great wrap-up to the show. Guys, uh, you know, uh, keep don't forget to give us a five five-star rating on iTunes if you're listening to the show. That's how people find out about us. And uh, you know, tweet us out. We appreciate it. Thanks very much for listening. We will see you again on Breaking Banks next week. You've been listening to Breaking Banks with host Brett King. Please be sure to join us again next Thursday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time for more of the latest in fintech news. 